0: So this morning, we're talking about Daniel 7, we're talking about Thy Kingdom Come, Insightful Living. It sounds like a Christian magazine, doesn't it? Insightful Living. And so, uh, a little bit of a challenge today. Over these next six chapters, it's all about prophecy. And so I'm kind of wrestling with, okay, are we going to do this really for six weeks? Just talk about a bunch of stuff that, that gets really confusing and difficult. Yes. And... Yes, and no, and yes, and uh, you'll see. Just make sure you come for the next six weeks, you'll find out. Let's pray that the Lord shows us what we need to see this morning out of His Word. Lord God, thank You for the testimony of the Conry family in Chance's life. And uh, just the other examples that are so prevalent within our church body. Thank You for the testimony of... Um, That we heard from Draymond Green. And his willingness to stand up and be counted for you. And and to lead in spiritual matters. It is an uncommon thing. To be that bold with his faith. uh, To the point of saying. Even if I was told not to do it. I would still have to. Um, Thank you for that witness. And that voice. And giving that opportunity for him to share. And for Steph to have that platform. um, This year with, with winning. The MVP position, Lord, that he chose to be uncommon and share his faith um, first and foremost. Let us take inspiration from that. They're, they're brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, and we should participate in an in, in equal way in our lives so that we're participating in the kingdom with this message, Lord. Encourage our body this morning. Let us learn, but let us be inspired to your glory. Amen. Well, I have a question for you today. (laughs) Here it is. Really? Nobody's going to tell me what time it is? What time is it? No, you can tell me. Does nobody wear a watch anymore? Yes, Joseph. Very good. Excellent. I was looking more for the hour and the minute, but we're getting to that. 11.38. Nobody wants to say, I know what's going on. Nobody wants to say it because you know somebody else is going to say, no, it's 11.37, right? It happens at our house. My wife, maybe, maybe you're like my wife, and you're godly, and you're, you're uh, so much. Anyway, um, uh, she sets her clock ahead, like by five minutes, so that you know she's ahead of the game. Anybody do that? Well, you're unique. Okay, there's there's several. Yes, there's several out there, honey, like that. So I never really know what time it is. I never really know. Is it this time? Is it that time? I you know. So how many of you now have? You you don't wear a watch. You get your time off your phone. Look at that. Look at that. Pretty soon you're going to go back to getting your time off your wrist. Right? How many are using the old Fitbit thing now? Yeah? Yeah? That's going to be the next revolution. You're going to see everybody getting their time off their wrist again. Pretty soon it's just going to get piped into us. You know, if I were to ask you, spring, forward, fall, back. What time is that? Daylight savings time. If I was to ask you, what is April 15th? See, so many more of you know tax time than daylight savings time. That's a little depressing. And you know what? This is how bad it is. It's not just called tax time. It's a tax season. It's brutal. Um, How many of you you love these people? (laughs) You ask. Nobody's going to do this now that I bring it up you ask somebody what time it is and you duly get the response, time to get a new watch. Right? You ever had that one done to you? Yeah. It's time for you to follow me into this alley. Come on. Come on. I'll I'll show you a new watch. No, I wouldn't do that. There's new people here. I just want you to understand, I wouldn't do that. I'd do it right there, not in an alley. What time is it? This is the question you have to ask yourself today. Look, How many of you love mysteries? You like the whodunits, right? Ready? Here's something common to our culture. Spoiler alert. You're going to get immersed in detail today. I have been dying over how to preach this message and the next five. So I'm working really hard. Do me a favor. Always be thinking this question as we move through a ton of material today. All right, so let's get to it. We're in Daniel seven, and we'll have a few cross references. If you pull out the, uh, if you pull out your sermon notes, we've got some fill in the blanks. You'll see it there. Um, you're going to see some cross references in Revelation. We're not going to read those today. Those are for reference. Uh, we will read the Mark reference uh, when we get to it. But just so you know, um, hey, pastor, you know, how come we're not reading this? Out of it's to show you a parallel that this prophecy that was given to Daniel at this time uh, in the 6th century B.C. parallels a prophecy given in the 1st century A.D. or Christian era. Is it too cold in here? Okay, some people are like cold. Okay, if you get cold, you can come up here on the stage where it's about 40 degrees hotter under these lights. No, um, we'll, we'll be mindful. It, it should stop. Well, I set it at 68. Um, That was a prophetic word. It stopped. Uh, This prophecy that we're looking at today was was so crucial for the Hebrew nation. But it's even more important for you and I. So I want you to grasp that. That while this prophecy was given to Daniel at this time, those who love studying Revelation, now we're in it, okay? You often hear about the parallels out of Daniel Big parallels that we're going to start seeing out of this this 6th century B.C. prophecy all the way to the 1st century A.D. prophecy. So I've got some questions for you. Number one, we've got three points today, three main points, Number and they're all connected to prophecy. First one is hope in prophecy. And the first thing I want us to understand and wrestle with is simply this. The sovereignty of God is on display. The sovereignty of God is on display in this message, in this chapter. But I encourage you, I implore you to understand that the sovereignty of God is on display in your life. What do I mean by the sovereignty of God? That He is all-powerful. It is His will that is always in effect. Philippians uh, chapter uh, 1 or 2 speaks to the idea of Uh, Verse 10 through 12, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then you you go to the following verse and it says, For it is God who works, who wills and works according to His purpose. He is always at work. Now the operative question is this, Well then why did He let Satan do to Job what he did to Job? You're going to see the answers to that question today. Just because it is something that is bad, we deem as bad, we see as horrific, doesn't mean that God isn't in control. So we're touching on a very important question today, aren't we? Because this is a biggie. This is a very, very big question in Christians' lives, and even more so those who are, are not yet of the faith. If God is in control, why did this happen? Do I have permission to engage you, my friend? Did you ever ask that question before Trinity? And how long did you have to wait for your child? And it's by no mistake you named her Trinity. No mistake at all. There was plenty of times where you wondered if God was in control. Yeah. And you have your answer. You have your answer. And it's a cute answer. God is in control. We have Callie here. We have CJ here. We have London here. And now we have Declan here. Because God is in control. There are so many things that want to tear at us. That makes us scream, where are you God? You're going to see some insight to that today. Ready? So number one, sovereignty of God. When it comes to hope and prophecy, you've got to start with the sovereignty of God. He is in control. Number two, God is providing a trustworthy message of hope between history and heaven. Do you trust what you hear here? Do you trust this? Because my friends, there's a lot of times where it's going to work counterintuitive. To what you want to do. You have to give up your will. Remember, Paul said in Philippians, he says, I know what it means to be in need. I know what it means to have plenty. I know, and he uses a particular word here. In the NIV, he uses the word translates mystery. In the ESV, it's secret. Why why does Paul talk in those terms? Because for all of us, we keep asking that question God, are you to be trusted? And at a particular point in time, Paul finally got to a point where he says, what? He says, I've learned the secret of what it means to be content. I no longer ask that question. God, where are you? God, can I truly trust in these things that you have written down? How did Paul get there? You're going to see this morning. Prophecy informs Information provides insight, and insight leads to hope. And that is the message for you today. What time is it? It's always time for us to have hope. Amen? It is always time for us to have hope. So how is that playing out for the Hebrew people? How is it playing out for Daniel? And how is it playing out for you and I today? Let's get into it. The second point today, and the one we'll be in for an hour and a half. All right, there went hope of any lunch. Outline of a vision. Let's get into the scripture this morning and and start reading this out of Daniel 7. I don't know why I turned in reverse here. Now, what time is it? That's the funny thing about the book of Daniel is now we're going backwards. The book is not sequential. And so actually, the book actually isn't even written in the same language throughout the book. The book was written in Hebrew, the book was written in Aramaic, so chapters 2 through 6, or actually I think it's 7, are all in Aramaic. And that's where some of this controversy lies with, is this an authentic, real book? And then some of the book, the latter parts of the book, are in Greek. Um, So it's kind of all over the place. So what time is it? Well, we were under Cyrus and Darius, and we're in the Daniel uh, Daniel Lion's Den, right? Now we go backwards. Now we're back with Belshazzar now we're back in the Babylonian uh, empire okay just so you know kind of what we're dealing with here and so it says this we're going to read verses 1 through 8 starting in chapter 7 it says this in the first year of Belshazzar king of Babylon Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter now hang on a second. Who up until this moment has been receiving all the dreams and visions? It's been Nebuchadnezzar. Now God does this to Daniel, which is fascinating. And and let's, you know, just take note of it. I don't have any points of it, but just take note of his response to all this. So then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings <clears throat> of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke its pieces, I'm sorry, and broken pieces, and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Wow. Okay. My flesh says, let's break for lunch. Because this is, this is beyond my pay grade. Okay? But uh, let's give it a shot, shall we? Number one, you've got beasts in this vision. Who do the beasts represent? Well, do you remember out of chapter 2, the statue, the dream, the vision that Nebuchadnezzar said? Same thing. He's just dealing with Daniel now, so he uses another allegory. It's not that a statue was going to raise up and have control... That was an image that Nebuchadnezzar could relate to. He related to it. For whatever reason, uh, here's this beast issue. And so God decides to reveal his truth, his coming truth, his prophetic truth through the imagery of these beasts. So what do we have? Well, we have one beast that represents Babylon. We have another beast that represents Medo-Persia. Another beast that represents Greece. Another that represents uh, Rome. Now we know, being where we are now that those were historically accurate, and those happened. Now, they weren't named as kingdoms, but the sequence of events definitely happened as the prophecy said. So, is it trustworthy? That's one of the things that you glean from prophecy, is that God lays out a prophecy, and when you see it realized, it gives credibility to what He's saying, right? You know that in all the prophecies that that have been fulfilled in Scripture... It would be equated to covering the state of Texas. Um, I can't remember off off the top of my head. I think it's like literally three feet deep in half dollars. And marking one with an X. And then just asking somebody to go pick up that one with the X. That's statistically how impossible all the prophecies that have happened, that have come to fruition in Scripture... The probability of those happening. It would be equated with that kind of a statistic. Is God trustworthy? Well, here you have in this vision, this has already happened. This is historical. So this is, what time is it? It's time for us to believe that what God says is going to happen is going to happen. And that helps give us insight, right? That we can trust the things that are going to still happen. Let's move on. So we have horns. This is getting scarier. Okay a little like Jurassic Park or something, so the horns, and you 're going to hear this in the interpretation later on in about an hour and a half. This represents ten kingdoms that will rule together. This is a future prophecy. this has not yet happened for us. When I give you this prophecy fulfilled prophecy future, this is in relationship to us, not daniel all right now let me let me encourage you with something here. so the ten kingdoms that will rule together. That's what these horns represent. I'm going to test your uh, predictive nature, your uh, 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 future events, church acumen here. You ready? So this is the part that I really passionately avoid about preaching when it comes to end times and prophecy. And I'll make my point here in just a second. So, does anybody... Anybody with great spiritual understanding, and I could pick out ten of you right now that could answer this question, so don't be shy. There are ten horns. Those ten horns signify something. It still has yet to happen. It could be happening right now. And modern theologians, dispensationalists, uh, -dispensationalists, hyper-dispensationalists, eschatological uh, 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 machinations here, who do those individuals believe the ten horns represent? Anybody know? The European Union. Wisdom has spoken, my friends. The European Union. Yes. And the Antichrist is the quarterback. from. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Have you ever wondered if, because your, your player fails so badly, if that, no, I'm just kidding. Let me reveal a little something. And so this sidebar, this is, on, this is not part of your notes. I want to encourage you not to get so wrapped up in details. This is going to rub some of you the wrong way probably. And, and you may have a bunch of books on your wall uh, in your bedside table. That's fine. Studying this stuff is good stuff. The reason we study prophecy is for the hope. Okay, That's where we need to land. It's not about defining the ten horns and who are the ten horns and how many times have you seen some predictive thing come across the internet. And folks, we become a laughing stock when we do that stuff. There's a historical figure named Antichius, I'm probably saying that wrong, Antichius Epiphanes IV. He was a Roman general. And he came in and he conquered over Jerusalem. And he did what was called the abomination of desolation. We'll be hearing about that in Daniel 12. And he sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple. If you ask any of the Jewish nation at that time who the Antichrist was, who do you think they would have said it was? Yeah. But there's a whole lot more that has to happen. And so during that time, the ten horns represented ten generals from Rome. You see what we do here? And I just give you a little insight? There are 13, 13 countries in the European Union. So let's not look like fools. Okay, so let go of all that stuff. Don't get caught up in it. What we're talking about this morning is that the hope of prophecy leads us to something. And that answer comes to the question of what time is it? Following me? Okay, now let's really fly. We have a mouthy horn. I didn't get that from Scripture. That's Pastor Jair's interpretation. We have a mouthy horn here. It's a horn that rises up from the other horns. It displaces three other horns. Those are actually kings. You'll see that in the interpretation or rulers. And this horn is a representation of the Antichrist. So this one rises up amongst the others. And he has incredible destructive nature. and, And he has a purpose behind who he is. So, Revelation 13, 19, great parallel passage for you to understand that uh, more in depth. Uh, continuing on, the outline of the vision, let's look at verses 9 through 10. Now it changes. So Daniel receives this, uh, this vision of these beasts and the horns and the mouth horn, and now everything shifts. And let's pick it up, verse 9, chapter 7. It says this, As I looked, thrones were placed... And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair on his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Daniel is getting a vision of the throne room of God. Got it? Now, again, go to Revelation four, we sang Revelation' song. John has the same vision. He has the same picture of the throne room of God. Pretty tremendous, right? Because this prophecy happened in sixth century BC. Nothing's really changed. And that helps me affirm that God, when God says, "I'm unchanging," that heaven is real," has been confirmed by two different guys at two very different times. So what do we have? We're going to do a lesson in prophetic allegory. You ready? So, can you picture God? Anybody picture God? Okay. Got, Got one? How many of you have heard the scripture that says no man has seen God at any time? Have you ever heard that scripture? All right. Got a little bit of a problem. Is it just me? Or do we have a contradiction here? Because I certainly see a picture of God listed here. Is it just me? Some of, you are, some of you do not have godly courage. Come on, I just preached that last week. Do you see a picture of God here? Now I just manipulated you to say something you didn't want to say. Now you don't know what to do. Now it's time for lunch. Can you picture God? Well, number one, what's he see? Thrones placed. How many of you out there are carrying it? Don't raise your hand because I'm going to say something really horrible here. If you're carrying a KJV, a King James version of the Bible, um, you are a wonderful, blessed person. You have a wonderful and authoritative uh, part of Scripture uh, or or good, reliable interpretation. I believe the NIV is good and reliable as well. I believe the NASB is good and reliable. I believe the authorized version is the ESV. So if you all want to get close to God you get that version no i'm just here's something that's interesting if you have a kjv this morning it doesn't say that thrones were placed it says thrones were cast what cast down and here's the challenge is that when the kjv was translated they didn't have as much information as they do now and this section was written in aramaic and so it's not a very good interpretation of what's going on here why did i bother saying that because you need to know that every once in a while you run into these little discrepancies Does this change the story? doesn't change the story. So don't worry your pretty little heads about it. But just, if I know that there's KJV people out there and you're seeing thrones are placed, wait a minute, mine says thrones are cast down. So I just wanted to clarify for you. What we need to learn from it is, in heaven, where God is, there are what? There are thrones. So now you're getting a little bit of a picture, aren't you? How many know the painting Starry Night? Does anybody know the painting Starry Night? Lyndon, who painted Starry Night? Van Gogh. Do you see that? you see my hesitation right there? That was one of the rare moments where the Holy Spirit held me back from trying to pop off a joke. Okay? I was going to try to crack a joke about Van Gogh right there, and I just stopped. I just want you to know that every once in a while I do listen to the Holy Spirit. So, Starry Night, Van Gogh, it's impressionistic. It's a bunch of swirls and it's a bunch of blues and blacks and yellows. what, What the fascinating thing is about this painting is that a bunch of people try to interpret what the purpose is of this painting. And the fascinating thing is, is during his time, contemporaries would say, oh, I know what the focal point is. I know what you're trying to say. And they were way off. And that's the challenge with allegory. Is that you give an impression of what you're trying to say. And so sometimes people like to read into and that's the challenge with prophecy and allegory so we're going to look at this this idea of the throne room with a little bit of that flavoring okay but what we do know is that there are thrones and they were placed that's literal god has a specific throne how many of you picture when you're praying to god the father you picture him on a throne any of us i do why because we have this picture and it's not just here it's also in revelation 4 that's legitimate now let's keep moving He's clothed in brilliant white. The best way for me to explain this is that it's radiant. The, the, the great interpretation of this is that it's just radiant. It's almost blinding. So when you see God, He's going to be super bright and radiant. Much like some of the, the, uh, the art that we see manifested, the icons and the, the radiance. Um, you think about Michelangelo's painting of God and man and that takes you to the next point Of what Daniel sees in God. That his hair is what? It's white like wool. It's white like wool, right? So that's why we have these pictures of God as a tan, European, buff, white, flowing locks God. How did we get that picture? How did Michelangelo decide to paint that of God? Well, it's in the Bible. This is how God looks, right? Yet you have John saying, no one has seen God at any time. You have the Scriptures that speak about when Moses was on Sinai and God said, prepare yourself, I'm going to pass by. You need to shield yourself in the cleft of the rock because you won't survive. My friends, what this is saying is that he's given a picture in a vision that helps him understand about the character of God. Some of the points here are real. Is there a church in the middle of the town in Starry Night? Yes, you can know that. Is that the subject of the painting? We don't know. It's all black and it's one of the only things in the painting that's all black. And so some people want to say it's a, it's a metaphor for the fact that the church was dying and the message of the church was dying, even under the Starry Night. That wasn't the message Van Gogh was trying to get across. So allegory is difficult, right? We know that there are thrones. There's no reason to dress that up, but for Jewish language, what did gray hair signify? Wisdom. Do you see what he's doing here? I'm having fun. That was great. You guys all went. Mm. I felt like I felt like we really learned something there. I was. I got chills. This is great. Yes, gray hair exemplifies, and you find it in Proverbs and you know throughout throughout Scripture. But even more so to the Jewish culture, that's what it symbolized. Now, I said that there was fire, right? Fire shooting out. And and I once had somebody tell me, I'm kind of scared of God. Because there's all this fire shooting out all over the place. And that's kind of scary to me. Let me ask you, what, what do we see over and over about fire in Scripture? It is refiner's fire? That Paul talks continually about that our works will go through fire and that the dross will be burnt over and the things that are worthwhile will survive. This speaks to God's what? Any any stabs at it? Holiness. Yes. From the man with wise hair. Yes. His holiness. It speaks to his holiness. So do you see how allegory works here in prophecy? Some of these things that he is seeing, yes, literal. You don't have to mess with thrones. There's no point. But when he's talking and speaking about God, what we know about God when you take the whole of Scripture is that He never reveals His totality of His glory because we could not handle that. But he, He will reveal Himself in portions and in ways that we can know Him. And that's what is happening in this prophecy when he sees the picture of God, number one, he's brilliant, he's pure. Number two, that he's, he's holy. Number three, he is wise. It's not that we're actually getting a, a snapshot, a Polaroid of God. There's no need for that. We need to know the character of God, right? So the history here and the purposefulness of the allegory and the prophecy is there to inform us and to give us insight into a trustworthy God. So isn't it fascinating that what happens is the first part of the vision is all these beasts and this destruction and then God takes him to the throne room to give him what? To give him hope. To give him hope. To say, I'm in charge. Get your confidence in me. I'm in charge. So let's look at... Oh, and then innumerable uh, angels. Allegory is like impressionistic painting. It may be vague, but it holds great meaning, message, and purpose. Okay? So think about that when you're looking at at prophecy, Are you still with me? Okay. So Daniel's going to interpret this in a minute, but here comes some great stuff about Jesus Christ. Isn't it fascinating? How many of you always wondered, does the Old Testament show us Jesus Christ? Where is Jesus Christ? The angel of the Lord, right? Okay, we, we get those parts, and, and that's because somebody told us that we think that Jesus was the angel of the Lord. This, which is prophecy... Speaks to what He saw in real time. But will affect us. Not just the Jewish nation, but affects us and affects the future of this prophecy. Listen carefully as we get back into 7. It starts in verse 13. All right, Again, outlining a verse in 13 and 14. It says, Then I saw in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. Remember those specific words. Remember those specific words and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days. How many people do you have involved in this scene now? Just so I'm really clear Two. number one would be the ancient of days. The second one would be who? The son of man. And was presented before Him. And to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is everlasting, an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Does this give you hope? Does the history of this prophecy give you hope? It gave hope to the nation of Israel. Unfortunately, they're still looking for Messiah. They didn't buy this, which is fascinating. This is where we're going to get into that Mark chapter 14 passage. So we have this title, the son of man. What is significant about this? Well, if you want, you can turn with me to Mark 14. And let me set it up for you real briefly. Uh, Jesus at the end of his ministry. He's been arrested and they've got to find a reason to crucify him. And so they know how they're going to get him. They want to get him on blasphemy. And they ask him a crucial question. This is the high priest. And they ask him a crucial question. Pick it up in verse 61. You find it here. But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Now listen. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the cloud of heaven. He knew that the high priest, those that were gathered there, would know what he was speaking about. What he was claiming. Now what you'll hear in most sermons around Easter time is the whole focus on the the, the, the um the words I am. There's so much more here, my friends. There's so much more here that literally hung Christ on the cross. Now remember, this is a prophecy Daniel saw in 6th century B.C. Now we're 500 and some odd years. Fast forward and it's happening. For us, this is history. For Daniel, this was the future. This is trustworthy. It happened exactly the way it was prophesied to happen. So what time is it? It's time for the Son of Man to do what He was supposed to do. To pay that price for us and to give us hope. Right? Let's go back to Daniel 7. So, what, what do we learn from the passage here in Mark? Christ is claiming divinity. He's claiming to be this Son of Man... And by the way, does anybody have a hang-up with that title? Does that weird you out? You're like, wait a minute, the Son of Man doesn't sound like God, right? I always struggled with that as a kid. There's your answer. The first time you see this is coming out of this prophecy in Daniel 7. And it's a title. It's not, it's not indicative of the fact that he was born as a human. There, there's a little bit of that that's mixed into it, but it was a godly title for the one who, if he's in the throne room in this vision and yet He appears 600 years later, He is what? He is eternal. Just like Colossians 1 says. Again, trustworthy. Trustworthy, trustworthy, trustworthy. That is the hope of prophecy. And that's why we need to look into the history of prophecy and how it informs us to, as we and Martha Stewart say, insightful living. Okay? Just want to make sure you're still hanging with me, okay? So the dominion was given to the Son of Man and He has power over all things and it is an eternal kingdom. Is that a contrast to these other four beasts? Yeah, it is. And and we'll get to that in a moment. So as we look at this outline, let's look at 23 through 27, the last part of our interpretation today, and this is the actual interpretation. So God shows him the vision of the destruction to come, what's going to happen with the nations. Then he shows him himself in the throne room and the power and the dominion and the one to be trusted in and hoped in. Then he shows him the actions that are going to come that are going to put down those nations and is going to survive because ultimately everybody will serve the Son of Man and he will have dominion. And he's standing there probably with a little bit of drool coming off the side of his mouth going, you know, because this is a lot to take in. And why do I say that? Because of the next words that you're going to hear. He, he, he's in this business, isn't he? Daniel is. And so if he's seeing this vision, what do you think is coming? Well, if you're going to have a vision, you've got to have an interpretation. And that's exactly where Daniel goes with this. And that's the next part. Let's read it. Where are we? Verse 23. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast... Now what happened is he turns to the angel. There's an angel there and he turns and he asks for an interpretation. And this is the angel speaking that's giving the interpretation in verse 23. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise. Remember, I told you that that's what that represented. And another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the former ones. And he shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall take change. I'm sorry, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times. And half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment. And his dominion shall be taken away. To be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven. Shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey them. That is the interpretation of this prophecy. So what he's really focusing on and what he's speaking about is our time. He's speaking to the Antichrist. He's speaking to the one that will, that will trump all the other kingdoms. Now, if that was Rome, right? That Rome rose, it was the last one, and then Christ's kingdom will come in. You're saying, well, wait a minute. Rome ceased in the middle of the, or the early part of the 5th the, the century. So how does that work, Pastor? Because when you talk about Antichrist, is the Antichrist here? Some of you may say yes. Don't do it. Okay. No, so far we have not seen the Antichrist. But have we seen the spirit of the Antichrist? Yes. And it's growing and it's growing and it's growing and it's growing. There will be a day where the things that Draymond Green uttered, he will not be able to play basketball if he, do, if he utters those things. Um, it's coming fast. And it is called the spirit of Antichrist. We are in this part of history. How does that inform you? What insight does that give to you and I? I think it gives me hope. And, and we'll get that to that in a minute. But I think that gives me hope. But there's a reality here that we have to deal with because the Antichrist is real. Remember I started out talking about the sovereignty of God, that that's where the hope is, right? Found in the sovereignty of God. Many of you have been handed things that, just like chance... He's saying, God, how is this fair? How's this going to work out? Many of you have been handed things that seem overwhelming and difficult that's made you cry out to God and say, where are you? I thought you were this this all-loving, graceful, benevolent God. Yes, He is. But because of sin and because of struggles, we have to go through this. And He builds growth within us So that we can be the ones that minister. So that we can have the voice so we draw near to God. And that's just the way it works right now. We'll get to that at the end. Some of us are rejoicing right now because that's what God has for us. We've seen success. Some of us are questioning God right now because we're trying to move in a direction we just don't know where we're supposed to go. What are we supposed to do? Can I just tell you that that's where history and the history of prophecy helps you know that God is trustworthy but you also have to embrace the fact that we're going to go through hard times and the reason that we get this question so often if God is so good why do bad things happen to good people because it's the way it's going to happen that's it but we don't like that answer We like an answer that eradicates the difficult things of life. What happens when we eradicate the challenges in our life? We don't grow. We don't depend on God. We end up like Israel. We end up in captivity. Right? When I start doing really well, I go and involve myself in things that I can't normally participate in. And those things steal away time from God. More and more and more. And God sends His warning saying, hey, I'm here. Remember me? I'm here. And I say, yeah, thanks. I appreciate all that you did, but I'm busy. I'm busy over here now because I'm doing so well. Remember, we started out with that, that. There's two reasons why the nation of Israel was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. Arrogance and prosperity. And nothing's changed. Nothing's changed for me. And I doubt it's really changed for you that those times where we walk away from God, we're not trusting God, we don't need God. Why? History dictates it's because of arrogance and prosperity. That I don't have the attachment and dependence on God because I've been given so much that I don't think I need Him anymore. And so this prophecy helps us understand the relationship with Him. And how to answer that question. Why do bad things happen if God is so good? Because His kingdom is still coming. That's why. His kingdom. We get taste. We get little, little side banquets. We get parts of it. We get to enjoy some of the power now. But that day will be fully realized when He comes in the clouds at the second coming. And the Antichrist in that fourth kingdom is finally completely defeated. That's when the inauguration day for that kingdom happens. But guess what? A big part of that kingdom is active right now. And it's active just like what we saw out of the testimony, the uncommon testimony of the Conneries, of others in this room, of what Draymond Green was sharing, and on and on and on it goes. Because God is involved through you. That's the kingdom of Christ. That is that eternal kingdom. And at a day in the future, it will finally be inaugurated and all the other kingdoms will be completely done. But that's not now. There's your answer. Wow, that really pieced together right there. Really well. That's your answer. That's why bad things happen right now. Is we're not at Coronation Day yet. Coronation Day? We're done. We're done. No more pressure. No more ugliness. It's over. But right now... We have the hope of the King is coming. Remember that scene in in Return of the King, where desperation's happening at Helm's Deep, I'm talking Lord of the Rings geek stuff right now, right? And it's desperate and it's horrible. And why are bad things happening? And all of a sudden, this brilliant light comes, and it's not God; it's Gandalf. And he rides down and just you know kills the hordes of orcs. Did a really good job of displaying ugliness and sin, and you know. Evil and good. That's why we have to live with what we live with. I didn't go over this. What, what do we see? The angel says what? The four kingdoms will fall. The Antichrist will wear out the saints. There you go. That's one of the reasons we suffer. is It is the Antichrist job and the spirit of Antichrist precedes the actual Antichrist. It is their design to wear us out. Have you felt worn out? prophecy realized but the beauty is that kingdom is going to be defeated and if you know Christ if you participate in Christ if you have faith in Christ you're part of an eternal kingdom that has dominion over that kingdom and that's insightful living says the antichrist will be given power I don't understand that I don't know why it's got to go that way but it's going to happen are we seeing that now Are you seeing just the most ludicrous things that you can't piece together and saying, how can people be giving power to this? It just doesn't even make sense. Welcome to it. The prophecy is happening right now, folks. This is the history that leads to the heaven of prophecy. The Antichrist will be defeated entirely and the saints will be given a new kingdom. So last point today, heaven in prophecy. So there's all your history. That's how it breaks down. There's the interpretation What do we do with all of it? We don't need to figure out the date, the times, you know, what are the ten horns? You just need to know what? You need to know that God is reliable. You need to know that we will suffer because we're not in His full kingdom yet. Right? That's why we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We can say that this is reliable and we can expect and we can hope in it because of what He's already done. He's already proven Himself faithful. That. You know, a majority of this prophecy is already fulfilled. So where does that leave us? I want to leave you with three insights this morning. You ready? Insight number one. Hope informs us that God is in control. Can you go there, please? Hope, hope informs you that God is in control. If you're finding yourself saying, God, where are you? What's happening? What's going on? You've got to get back to the history of how God did what He did. He did what He said He will do. You also have to understand that we are going to suffer. It's not His full kingdom yet. And that's the way this part is. We'll get to the inside of that in a second. Number two insight. History informs us that the saints will suffer for a time. I got ahead of myself. That's point two. So embrace that. Just know it. That doesn't, that doesn't mean God isn't in control. And it doesn't mean we can't hope that God is in control. Alright? Number two does not equate... To the negative or the the nullification of number one. And number three insight. Heaven informs it that there is a perfect eternal kingdom. And it's at the doorstep. That's what we need to hope in. That if those other prophecies have already come true. Then we can rely on the Son of Man returning in the clouds. And that kingdom and that dominion. And the establishment of the saints in peace forever and ever. Is going to what? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Live in that insight, my friends. That's what we gleaned from all of this imagery and allegory this morning. Now, as I close today, my question for you is this. What time is it? After learning all that, after seeing all of that, after dealing with beasts and horns and angels and God's white hair and Son of Man and all that, now I ask you the question one more time, what time is it? That's it. We go right back to where we started with those testimonies. That's what time it is. It's time to make it count. Now, I have two other points if you're looking at your notes. Never done this before. This is my Christmas gift to you early. And I do it purposely, not because I ran out of time. Actually, I'm finishing a little bit earlier than I did first service. I'm giving you homework and it's purposeful. You want to know how those three insights work with that last question? You got the answer. People said it. But here's a practical way to pursue it. I challenge you to do something uncommon. Do spiritual homework this week. Take those two questions in the notes. Read that scripture and answer the question and then live it. That's it. That's it. If you do that, this message did what it was supposed to do. Alright? Let me close in prayer and dismiss you today. Thank you so much for taking the time to exalt God today. That's what this is meant to do, and that's why we gather. And if you, <clears throat> if you have any needs, please let us know. Call the office during the week, um, obviously for prayer needs. But even more so, if you have a financial need, if you have a physical need, if you, if you want the elders to come pray with you, anything, just please contact us. Let us know how we can serve you. That's what, we, that's what we're here for. So let me close in prayer and dismiss you. Lord, thank You to the glory of Your wisdom and Your dominion, we can have hope. We can look at the history of what was prophesied and see that it is reliable, it has come true. And so therefore, the things that we're waiting for, Father, we can put firm trust in that because of that, it informs us into insightful living. So that even though I may feel pressed down, even though I may know what it means to be in want, I will have learned the mystery of what it means to be content. I will have learned what it means that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thank You, Father. Let us realize what time it is. It is not the coronation of Your kingdom. But we do get to reap the benefits of the coming kingdom right now. And we do get to participate in the coming kingdom right now. Give us that insight. Give us that drive and that hope. Thank You, Father. To Your glory. Amen.